0: Hi everybody, I'm George, and this is the best little horror house in Philly—the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is host of the excellent Soundtracker podcast.
1: Please welcome Eric Peacock. How's it going, dude? George, thank you so much for having me on. This is this is incredible.
0: Stoked to have you here. I'm a big fan of your pod. I mean, anyone who's talking about Lost Highway, you know, you got a fan built in for me. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, and I'm doing great. I. Not to get ahead of myself here, but when you asked me about this, you know, I, I was like, you've got quite a few episodes. So I'm like, somebody had to have chosen Dawn of the Dead. You'd think? I, I cannot fucking believe <laughs> that this one has not been taken.
0: Yeah, man. I'm stoked to finally be talking about this one. Where, I mean, it's a PA staple.
1: It feels almost purposeful that people hadn't picked it until <laughs> now. <laughs> I, you know, I just last night watching it was looking up how long it took i keep meaning to do it how long it takes to get from tiffin ohio where i am which is northwest ohio to the monroeville mall it's like a three and a half hour drive and i don't know why i've never made it before like i've made drives like that plenty of times cincinnati it takes me that long to get to cincinnati when i go there so
0: there you go hey closer than from philly to there which is like five hours is it really (laughs) yeah pa is a big old state
1: yeah it is i guess i forget how
0: big it is (laughs) yeah but one day one day i'll make it out
1: But before we get
0: into Dawn of the Dead, why don't you tell me a little bit about your history with horror in general? Okay, so
1: I was born in 1980, and as such, I grew up with the boom of the, like, Freddy Krueger is a rock star, and Jason, and <laughs> the slashers. And, you know, I used to watch, I was a big fan of, like, USA Up All Night as a kid, and I lived around the corner from a mom and pop video store, North town video rest in peace, North town video it closed a long time ago. I mean, like even before video stores started becoming thing of the past, North town was done and you know, it wasn't like my family was rolling in money. So this place would let me rent as a kid shit. I wanted for like 25 cents just cause yeah. I was well now granted, I wasn't going in and taking like the big new release movies cause <laughs> I could watch those at my friend's house on HBO, but I was getting whatever box, scared the shit out of me and gave me nightmares. <laughs> sure. The good shit. Right. And the thing is, <laughs> even then, they used to scare the piss out of me. Like the first movie that I ever saw in theaters. And this might actually be more of a line to why I am like I am as far as horror goes. My mom took me to Poltergeist <laughs> when I was like whatever year that came out, four or five years old. And I was scared of clowns for like four years. I didn't sleep in my room for like a year. But like I also apparently as a kid loved that adrenaline rush because I would stay up. I would watch Gilbert Gottfried's USA up all night and watch. Yeah. You know, there's so many movies that, and like ones that over the years, one of the cool things about the advent of like Blu-ray and DVD and things getting resurrected is like uh, for years from beyond was a movie that I remembered as scaring the hell out of me. Cause like people with little like worms coming out of their head. And it wasn't until it came out on DVD and I looked at the back of the box and I saw that, that I was like, this is the movie that I've been looking for for years. And it's just, I think I just have a natural disposition for like being scared that it's being scared. Is the wrong word because it's very rare for a horror movie to scare me nowadays, but just things that scare most people, I guess in general <laughs> has been something that I've always enjoyed. And it absolutely comes down to like growing up with that. I was born at the perfect time to become a massive horror fan. So yeah,
0: definitely. You know, I'm curious then, you're talking about growing up right in that slasher boom. Is slasher your favorite subgenre? Do you have a favorite?
1: This is such a tricky question, and this is—I yeah. knew I was going to get this one. <laughs> I love slasher films. I own every bottom of the barrel piece of shit slasher movie <laughs> you could imagine on DVD. I've watched Final Exam probably 40 times in my life. Like wow. that—that's not not quite that many, but I've probably seen. I, I guarantee it's in double digits. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> seen Final the exam.
0: Final Exam. Final Exam. You could pass.
1: <laughs> but. As far as it goes, like movies that scare me, that can genuinely scare me are like psychological horror or mm. cult. Like things involving cults freak me the hell out. Yeah. You know, when you first asked me about this, and I really struggled to pick one because the first thing I threw out was Session 9. Right. And, you know, not only is Dawn of the Dead my favorite horror movie movie of all time, it is like, it is my favorite film of all time. Sure. and. I've always had this. I have these weird ways that I sort of rank and rate things, and I've done it on my show a few times to the chagrin of my guests. But like, I, uh, you know, I feel like Dawn of the Dead is disqualified from being my favorite horror movie of all time since it's like my favorite movie of all time. It's it's no fair. And uh-huh. I would put Session Nine up there as possibly my favorite horror movie of all time in my weird way that I rate things and rank right, things. That in doesn't my head. transcend. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and and like Session Nine scared the fuck out of me the first time I saw it like it got under my skin in a way that few movies have and so for me I think my favorite subgenre would be yeah like psychological or things that can really crawl under my skin and make me feel genuine fear are what I would consider my favorite the tacky side of me would say slasher films.
0: (laughs) hey there's nothing wrong with tacky oh not at all but yes, today, finally, the best horror movie ever made is 1978's Dawn of the Dead, directed by George A. Romero. It's it's a true classic, and there are a few inspirations for this movie, according to George. Of course, a huge one for the specifics is the Monroeville Mall itself. One of the first indoor malls, George said, and it is, of course, where the movie is primarily shot. One of the owners of the mall's managing company was pals with George and during a tour showed him all the passageways above the mall and joked about it being a great spot to ride out an emergency. This combined with the vacant look that George noticed on people's faces as they walked around gave him the seed when Argento asked him if he had any ideas for a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. I think that this is great. There's obviously a lot going on with the like consumerism and corporate impact on America and everything happening here. And I think that is really great, but there is also something else going on that I see discussed less often, which is that he's talked about how his zombies are inspired loosely by I Am Legend, especially taking the idea of a new civilization, rising up and replacing the former, devouring it both literally and figuratively. And I think that this leads to an interesting comparison to Cronenberg and even the like book Galapagos, because it does seem to suggest in a post-humanist fashion that the change to humanity is both nightmarish and liberating that there's no more social niceties we just return to our base instincts you know you can see this same sort of idea being played with in the cronenberg 1975 movie shivers there is sort of this idea of going back to your base form is like a more ideal thing than having our big brains and all the worries that come along with it
1: and that feels very on point for Romero, in general, like uh, you know, (laughs) it's funny because there's so much humanity in his films, not just his zombie films, but there was also you could see this sometimes it looked like he was watching humanity from the outside, you know, like as an outsider, definitely, which is weird because if you see him talk, I love George so much, and he's just like your little old grandpa, you know, like he was such (laughs) a great guy to listen to talk. But, you know, he had that keen eye for and the idea that humanity being devoured and liber- would be like a liberating thing is, you know, that's right up his alley. That is right yeah. in his wheelhouse.
0: Absolutely. And I do think it is interesting to engage with apocalyptic scenarios in a way that isn't strictly about returning humanity to the status quo. And with Romero movies, there's usually a feeling of inevitability to humanity's extinction that supports this. In a way that I think does absolutely add to the terror of the movie while also opening up the conversation about our denial of our own inhumanity in the way that we treat things that are more like us
1: than unlike us at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Dawn of the Dead, especially, you can see, well, I guess Day with Bub as well, but Dawn of the Dead has those couple of moments where there's such a sympathetic eye thrown on the zombies at certain points, like, when F- Fran is, you know, Fran and the zombies outside and she like does that little bit where she frees that one. And then that the, the one in the baseball uniform like, slouches down and it's like sadly staring in at her like there's they've never been like the pure villains in his films, you know. And I mean, that's not like it's, I'm not I'm not saying something mind blowing here. That's always been there's not even like subtext as far as that goes <laughs> in his film. But yeah, it's cool how he managed to take the monster Especially when like zombies that I think that gets lost in a lot. I mean, a lot of zombie fiction has sort of taken his idea that what if man was the real monster and like sometimes to good effect, oftentimes not. But they (laughs) don't necessarily do it in a way that the zombies themselves are sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And I've always found that interesting about his work as well.
0: Yeah, I think that he does do it in such an interesting way, even in just the way that he sometimes negatively casts humanity, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like sympathetically looking at the zombies, you know, at the very beginning, we see the racist cop being like, oh, these animals, let's just kill them, let's just kill them. And then this is repeated by Roger when he's going to kill the zombies. And there is a, a very clear comparison point being drawn between these two and the way that they are dehumanizing the the people who uh, maybe have less than he does.
1: Yep. Even though Roger's my favorite in the movie, I have to
0: give you that <laughs> he is great. He is great. <laughs> I do also think that part of this interesting conversation for me is the repression of humanism happening textually as funerary and religious rights degrade. You know, this is a big thing that they focus on as well. They kind of lean into the Cartesian mind slash body separation. <laughs> Because en masse, the corpse no longer represents the life that it once housed, the way that it would when you go to a funeral normally. It now represents the contagion, and you have to just dispose of these bodies, and you can get meaning from treating them as the enemy. That is, until your humanistic weaknesses break through, could be hesitating too long before dispatching a former loved one, weakness of the body from food and injury, mental breakdown from the strain all things that they no longer
1: have to worry about. Yeah. That makes them a much scarier villain that are, are, are I guess a much more capable killing machine in that they really don't, there's nothing there. You know, like yeah. you look at something, oh, it's just a completely opposite side of the spectrum, but like the predator, the predator yeah. like, doesn't want to die. It has fear of dying. Like they don't, they don't, they don't even know that like they have no fear of dying. They don't understand there. They exist primarily to walk and eat and nothing other than something in their brain is going to stop that from happening.
0: And you did kind of touch on Day of the Dead and Bub. And I think that is interesting because the I Am Legend existential crisis of existing beyond death absolutely influences this movie and Day of the Dead, you know, as humanity becomes increasingly inhumane, while Bub represents the growing humanity of the dead and the necessary expansion of the definition of human quote unquote humanity then becomes the tumor that
1: needs to be excised before they kill the ones that can advance evolution i'm trying not to get off topic and it's not off topic but this is part of the reason that i get annoyed with some of the criticisms of land of the dead i'll defend i like i actually love land of the dead and i'll defend land of the dead quite a bit but one of the big complaints was like well, the zombies are doing smart things. And it's like, it's literally been like the arc of the zombies for like the entirety of this series. Have you been fucking watching? <laughs> yeah,
0: And Dennis Hopper. <laughs> <to go> off.
1: <laughs> yeah, his performance in that is just one of the best. I love Land.
0: I think also you see the natural continuation of the like, you never know aspect of what Ken Ferre is doing in this one with the money when they go into the bank and everything. Mm-hmm. So I think it does feel like a very natural evolution of what's been happening since the beginning in these movies. Mm -hmm. Dawn of the Dead also subverts the traditional voodoo zombie in the same way that Night of the Living Dead did, that instead of the fear coming from the imposition of a singular power source's will over yours, it's American capitalist society at large that is turning everyone into zombies. The horror doesn't just come from the gore, but also from our capacity for (laughs) self-loathing.
1: Yeah, one of the things that, that I and I'm sure I'll talk about this more when we when we get into the movie too. But one of the reasons, you know, the consumerism aspect of this is again not subtle. Like the idea that you know, as a as a human, I mean, basically the entire plot of this movie is that these characters are on the run and find the most fictional safe. I mean, it's it's cool that they have like this whole mall to run around, but like. <laughs> there's a little part of me, like the kid in me that like loves that shit too. Like I would yeah. absolutely. and like, That's a that, dream. Yeah. And I've said before on my show that I have a very complicated relationship with malls during the mall rats episode that, you know, I'm aware that there are these giant shrines basically to consumerism and mm. capitalism, but <laughs> I grew up in malls. So there's like always this part of me. That's like, I, I still kind of love malls and, and I would much rather, that be that people still had to get out of their houses and do things. And our COVID obviously changes things a little bit. Like people Mm. still had to get out of their houses and go places and do things other than like clicking a button and having it brought (laughs) by drone to their porch. Oh, gig servants. (laughs) (laughs) So that there are certain aspects of the commentary that he's trying to make that like, I completely understand and agree with, but also uh, this like primal part of me is like, Well, (laughs) if I were in this mall...
0: Absolutely. Supermarket Sweep turned up to a thousand.
1: (laughs) Good reference, by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Romero got connected with Dario Argento, famous Italian horror filmmaker, icon in and unto himself. They connected on the project through a mutual friend, associate producer Alfred Cuomo, who showed the treatment to Argento. And Dario already liked George's work, So he flew them to Rome, where they collaborated on the concept at large, and Romero finished the script there. But importantly, Dario also bought the distribution rights in Europe, and I think Japan, he said. So George got to start filming feeling, he said, distinctly unrestrained and like this was a romp, that he got to have fun making it because he didn't have to worry about, oh, is this even going to get put out there? Now, he brought Savini back to Pennsylvania for it. He got a telegram about it while he was playing Philip of France in a stage production of The Lion of Winter down in North Carolina. And they'd worked together on Martin, but this was his chance to make a big splash. And that he did, getting the Friday the 13th effects job directly on the back of this movie, which is, of course, a direct forebear of the splatter craze for slashers. I mean, there's no understating the influence that Friday the 13th has, and Tom Savini in particular.
1: No, and his work, I guess that's the one thing that I might do if I could, the only way that I could possibly improve this movie is if Tom Savini had had the budget to do the day of the dead looking zombies in this movie would like, but at the same time, I actually don't know that I agree with that because I feel like part of what makes this. Dawn is the most fun movie that Romero has made in that, in the, in all of his zombie films. I almost said the trilogy, but that's counting, you know, land and diary and all of them. It's the most fun that he's had and it's almost comic bookish at certain points. So I feel like that, blue hue and the bright red blood works with the tone of the movie so maybe yeah. i walk that back a little bit i don't know i think i like the zombies that we have presented here
0: i definitely see the sort of tipping point here of like well it could go either way i do love the way that they look in day of the dead and i think that it is kind of interesting where you can see moments where it's like oh this almost feels like a test run like this specific mm-hmm. effect. like when the organs get pulled out the sweet breaths or whatever <laughs> and you're like oh of course, Joe Pilato. <laughs> but, but definitely, I think that it does fit more in with the tone. You know, it, it is definitely comic booky. Obviously, there's a, literally a pie fight at the, at the yep. movie. Like, so, uh, there's, there's no doubt that there is uh, some, some goofing around here. I definitely see what you're saying. Savini said that he was struck by the difficulty of the movie, but that it was also what drew him to it. He said, quote, Creating these illusions for George Romero is fun because he likes everything to happen right on camera. If somebody is going to have a machete stuck through his head, he doesn't cut away before the blow hits and then cut to a shot of the bloody remains. He likes the thing to happen from beginning to end. The guy picks up the machete, raises it, and then whap, right into the head with the blade. And that's what we love, too.
1: (laughs) Oh, you know, even now, I recently upgraded because I had... That four disc, I still have, that four disc Anchor Bay DVD. I'll never get rid of it. It's like one of the crown jewels of my DVD collection. And I'll get to that more because it plays into like my whole like why this is my favorite movie and all that. But watching it in like really high def last night, because I've been sitting on it for a while. I've not had a chance to watch the high def version. I've always just gone back to that Anchor Bay release. But some of the effects, like they definitely, the transfer on that Anchor Bay DVD is very dated, but like. I was really struck by how the movie magic. I mean, obviously, if you know, you're looking at an exploding watermelon full of blood on that guy's head when Wooly blows his <laughs> brains apart, or blows his head apart. But like, if you didn't know what was going on, I think for what budget they had and what Savini had to work with, and again, for everything being on camera, it holds up incredibly well.
0: Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And again, I think that part of that is just that everyone got to feel like they were having a good time you know Mm -hmm. savini literally said that working on this movie was like halloween every day for him in the effects (laughs) i mean that's that's the dream
1: Uh, halloween every day sounds like the greatest thing in the entire world yeah like (laughs) i would i would as as you and getting paid for that you know
0: (laughs) and and that's the thing especially with the romero sort of troop of people you know it's it's a lot of like their friends it's it's Them getting to run around in a mall after hours with their buddies, like just painting each other up and uh, and having a good time.
1: And and that's what they talk about in uh, Document of the Dead, the really great documentary. I'll but I didn't screw the name up. Document of the Dead, I think, is the one that it is. Yeah, because there's Mm -hmm. two documentaries on that fourth disc on Anchor Bay. But, you know, they talk about how like people from Pennsylvania just showed up to do this for free to be zombies they wanted to be a part of this and like sitting out in this like really shitty cold weather and like really uncomfortable makeup all day and like they were just having a great time because they felt like they were a part of something very special and they were in the end yeah i
0: really like that you know I was reading about how they had, like, offered the rolls out to, like, it, literally anybody that they met. They mm. were like, yeah, right. hey, you want, be, you want to be a zombie?
1: <laughs>
0: the owner of the mall, he's a ghoul. Every reporter who came to set gets put on as a ghoul. One of the producers, whose last name is Rubenstein, he said, the people we've been using keep coming back. Some are even <laughs> bringing their kids along to play ghouls. They practice their zombie walks and then sack out in sleeping bags until the shot is ready. Then their parents wake them up. Can you imagine getting to be a kid and be part of this iconic
1: moment in horror history? It would be, like, it would be one of those things that like I would the rest of my life be chasing that again. <laughs> like if I were a kid at that point, I would be like, "Nothing will ever be as cool as that." <laughs> and, yeah. and I'd 41 years old, like trying to chase that high down again, like that's <laughs> yeah, it'd be incredible.
0: Like I mentioned, the reporters were like got frequently put in as ghouls, and it was funny to read the Cinefantastique's uh, correspondence recollection of Christine Forrest, who would then eventually become Chris Romero. She was the assistant director for this movie, and she was giving them all instructions, then concluding by saying, Remember to look hungry. You can do pretty much whatever otherwise, just don't get run over by the camera cart.
1: (laughs) That's, I mean, that's all the direction you need, really.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, right? I mean, Stagger around, don't get hurt, don't die. die, die. Stagger around and don't die.
1: <laughs> we're not insured. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh yeah. They were. They were. They mentioned a couple times. They were like, "Yeah, well, this wasn't a union production." <laughs> it was like, oh, no shit, guys.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do want to talk about that Anchor Bay thing quickly because mm-hmm. I watched the commentary from that version as well, which yep. is a great commentary. It's Chris, George, and Tom mm-hmm. all together talking about it, and. In it, Tom says about CGI that it's tough because on the one hand, it immediately puts the viewer in a new frame of mind where they have to say, okay, I have to pretend that this is real as opposed to being brought into the movie with physical things. But with zombies in particular, you're kind of limited by that in terms of only being able to add things to them, as opposed to remove chunks of a person. And he specifically called out The Mummy from 1999 as being like radical and being a really cool way to handle The Mummy looking different. And I thought that this was a really interesting argument for it, especially its usage in zombie movies. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, and then uh, I can also say what George followed that up with as
1: well. Well, do you mean CGI in general or CGI and zombie films? In this I situation? guess
0: uh, a little bit
1: of both. maybe. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, c- okay. So CGI. Uh, I, I, okay. First of all, I've, I've cause i cause I've listened to the, yeah, I've listened to all the commentaries on that. It's been years since I've listened to any, and I really think it's fucking awesome that Savini gave props to the mummy because I love the 1999 mummy. And that's really great. Cause I thought you yeah. were going to say like he shit all over it. That was going to be like, no, he thought it was great. I think CGI has its places. I'm a practical effects guy through and through, but I do feel like the combination practical and CGI, if you need something done is the way to go. Like I hate when movies will do like, they have squibs, but they still do CGI blood splatter. And it's like, you've got squibs. You don't need to go the extra (laughs) route here. But like certain situations where like you sort of, I think if you're painting an effect with CGI, Mm -hmm. that is fine. And obviously like there's situations I've said before that CGI basically peaked, with Jurassic Park and T2 and then it like went to shit for a decade. And like, yeah, now obviously it's gotten better. Well, like Jurassic Park was the same deal it was practical and CGI. That's why it sort of like that sleight of hand that it pulled that you, sure. you weren't sure exactly what you were seeing, but get the Tippett classic. Get those puppets in there. <laughs> yeah, ex- that's that's I mean, the, so yeah, that's where I fall in CGI. I think if you're using it to paint a practical effect, cool. If you're leaning on it completely, I mean, again, I get that there's certain effects that cannot be done practically. And that's what you have to do. But when it's like these movies where it's just like, it is like CGI vomit. Well, okay. And as far as zombie movies go, Romero, to pull up And again, showing how diehard Romero I am. I even like survival of the dead a little bit. It's not, it's, it's one that I've watched maybe three times in my life, but I just revisited it recently. That's the
0: Hatfields and McCoys. right? Yes.
1: Yes. That one, (laughs) it starts off with an effect that he wanted to do the entire, like he literally had this idea back during like dawn and they could never get it to work practically. And like, it's a great idea where a guy, a zombie gets shot with a shotgun and the top of his head drops down onto his neck but it was nothing they could ever get to work with practical effects. And the CGI and survival is not very good to begin with <laughs> because he was working on like, again, a, like no budget whatsoever. So it looks like shit when it yeah. happens in the movie, like it takes you out of it. Yeah. So I do agree, I guess in that respect that with zombies, cause that's again, same deal. You're removing something from the zombie mm. and it looks terrible in that, but I'm not 100% anti CGI as much as I love practical effects. I'm not one of those stodgy, like don't, ever use it, people. But I feel like it should be used sparingly.
0: Yeah, George, uh, he he answered saying, I don't aspire to that. I don't get ideas based on what can be done with CGI. And Tom did uh, agree with him saying that movies today, which of course today is early 2000s, <laughs> <laughs> are becoming more about spectacle. How can we blow people's minds? And of course that stopped in 2004 and movies are no longer about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right back to the old ways small yeah. and quiet films <laughs> that's right
0: even the crew though was stoked on Tom's work apparently people lost their minds at the first takes where the zombies are like biting people in the stairwells with the blood gushing out in the the projects uh, scenes yeah it's I mean it's it's great work Tom Savini the king in my opinion
1: that project scene has one of the most squirm inducing. Zombie bites, two of them in a row. It's actually the same person, the neck when and the arm, ones? the neck and the arm when he takes oh, that yeah. chop out of her neck every time I watch it and then it follows it immediately up with that bite out of the arm. And it's like two of the worst possible places I could think to have getting a chunk of flesh, especially the <laughs> neck one, like getting your delt bitten off is like as bad as it could get.
0: It was funny that uh, have you seen Blowout? the one with with John Travolta? The Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, yes, that <laughs> Yeah. So, at the end of that movie, I'm not going to spoil it too yep. much, but he's he says, like, good scream, good scream, and he's, yeah. like, there, and he's all sweaty and nervous and everything, <laughs> and that, the movie basically happened for real here, because that woman who gets bit, he, like, actually accidentally bit her arm. <laughs>
1: that's right, that's right, I forgot, I forgot that that was, like, a genuine scream. It's good scream, it's good scream. <laughs> oh, oh, what a bleak. What a bleak Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but Jesus Christ, what a bleak ending. (laughs) Law it's fantastic. That's why when you said it, I'm like, we talked about the Travolta one? Oh yeah. Hey, another Philly special. Oh yeah, that's right. And it's was that like John Lithgow's first stab at being like a terribly scary villain? I think it was. (coughs) It
0: might be, and he certainly. I mean, I lo- Look, not to get too far off the rails here on a on a blowout tangent, but I did. I was the one who brought it up, so I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> I love his villain in that movie. I think that. He's, like, working with these other bad guys, and then he calls him. he's like, I did the thing that we all agreed on. And they're like, we
1: didn't agree on that, you fucking psycho. (laughs) Yeah, he's a complete lunatic. (laughs) They made the mistake of bringing into their fold. (laughs) (laughs) I've been killing sex workers around town so that they think that it's just a lunatic. It's like, yeah, you, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, you didn't see that energy again until Cliffhanger, though, because he was a family-friendly guy in the 80s.
0: I mean, the priest in Footloose is basically that guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Our main
0: group of four in this movie is David Emge as Steven, Ken Ferre as Peter, Scott Reiniger as Roger, and Galen Ross as Francine. And um, Scott and David were friends of Chris's in college, but Ken and Galen had to audition, and apparently, Galen fabricated her resume, and she had, like, no experience prior to this. And George was like, little did she know, I wouldn't have cared.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to point something interesting out. I feel like there's two kinds of people in this world that are fans of this movie, and it's people that call him Steven and people that call him Flyboy. And I just, it's <laughs> interesting to see what side you fall on. I'm a Flyboy guy. <laughs>
0: wow. I, see, I specifically was like, I can't go too hard on either one of them, because then it'll get boring <laughs> for the listener. So I... Have plans to alternate.
1: Okay, okay, that works. I'll I'll follow your lead for this. I'm going to go Steve, Steven, Flyboy, <laughs> Big Daddy S, the F B. Right? Yeah.
0: We'll see where the night takes us. <laughs> Shooting on the film began November 13th, 1977. Then they broke for Christmas and went into February. After resuming on January 3rd, 1978, and in May. Romero finally started sending the assembled picture reel-by-reel of a 173-minute rough cut to Argento in Rome, where his European version would finish getting scored by Goblin, uh, although Romero only used three of their tracks, opting mostly for stock music cues for the theatrical U.S. release. Goblin, I mean, come on. Unbelievable. They're absolutely amazing. I talked briefly about them in the Suspiria remake episode for Contrast, but goddammit, they just rock so hard. I mean, they are probably the like music from movies. that I revisit the most just because like deep red is so amazing. The Suspiria soundtrack is incredible. Like
1: they just do not miss. The Suspiria theme is probably one of my favorites of all time. So here's the thing with Goblin and not to like, this is not, I promise this isn't like self-promotion here. As far as my show goes, you know, I had no intention of ever doing score albums, but the more I thought about it, I was like, I can never talk about Dawn of the Dead. I can never talk about Suspiria. And so I've made this concession recently that sparingly I'm going to do it. But like Tron Legacy has Daft Punk, you know, bands that existed and did scores, but also have their own, like, like John uh, John Williams is great. You know, I they point to a whole bunch of, you know, elfmen, but like people who basically got score work because they had previously established themselves as album artists. I'm going yeah. to make exceptions for basically because of Goblin's existence. That's how much I like yeah. Goblin's work in these movies.
0: I feel like it always works out so interestingly. We talked about Ravenous on this oh, uh, God. show with Damon Albard's uh, yeah. score, and it is outrageous. Yep. So is that movie? Yeah, oh, it's really I Love fun, Really, really fun one. Shout out to my friend Sean who introduced it to me. <laughs> <laughs> the film opened at number 1 in Italy when it opened, which is great in uh, on September 9th and this created quite a buzz. It was even in Fangoria number 1, which is a cool honor I feel like. I didn't know that. Yeah. And Godzilla's on the cover of it. What a duo. Yeah. <laughs> The production cost about $500,000, according to the producer, plus like 50000 for salaries and stuff. So, And it made $66 million worldwide. So a pretty big hit, despite being labeled a video nasty by England and going unrated rather than accept the MPAA's X rating. Rubenstein said that they were prepared for the X the whole time because, quote, there's no doubt the blood flows faster and freer in this picture than it ever has before.
1: And they're not like, I mean, you look at this movie today and it's very tame. Like, no, wait, hold on. Let me walk that back. It's not very tame, but like you've seen significantly worse. I mean, it is a very, uh, there's a, like I said, there's this, you know, within the first five minutes of the movie, there's a scene that makes me squirm and shit doesn't make me squirm. But, you know, if this were released today, there wouldn't even be a question that it would be an R, you know, like there wouldn't be a question (laughs) that this is an R rated film. But I feel like that added... A bit of obviously, it's not going to make the same box office in the US having that unrated tag, but it also adds a mystique to like the gore hounds and the horror fans that are Definitely. like, Ooh, like I know 50 Cents movie just tried to pull that, like, we had a cameraman pass out during recording. And like, it's cool that people see through that as bullshit. But yeah. like, you know, I remember when Hostel came out and hearing like people fainted during the film and being like, I gotta see this one, you know, like yeah. it works even if Definitely. they weren't trying for that. Yeah,
0: I, I think that it is interesting. It definitely creates like I think a a more of a tale for the movie. It was funny when they were talking on the commentary. They were like, "If this did such great business, where did all that money go?" <laughs> 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 and, and George was like, "Well, it it came like later because unfortunately the the real issue with it being unrated is just that some theaters wouldn't carry it, and it yeah. had like impacts on the way that it would uh, it could get advertised and stuff." But yeah, I think it does create that allure. It creates sort of a longer tail because people keep coming back to it. They hear about it. They say, oh, this movie is unrated. And it's because of all the violence and shit in it. So it definitely, I think, creates a a, a draw that might not be there if it's just, oh, here's an R rated movie.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, and I feel like, again, another thing that I'm forgetting, though, is that this is pre internet days where that buzz doesn't build quite as easily, you know? So I guess, I guess it doesn't, you know, if the movie were released, if if that sort of thing happened today and it was like, it's unrated theaters won't carry it. People would be like driving to the nearest big city that was playing it to see it. But I guess that probably was not the case back then where it didn't get the sort of advertising. And there wasn't like that sort of like buzz or anything outside of people that were, you know, excited for romero's follow-up tonight of the living dead so
0: you had to get snail mail trolls (laughs) saying that it was (laughs) terrible actually
1: (laughs) a pigeon brings you the movie's rating like um, oh it's unrated and again not to get off but like fuck the video nasty era too like what just absolutely it basically painted out people who were just making fun movies as being like deranged perverts
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's really a shame, and not only a shame because of the way it demonized the people, but it also affected the art not only in the editing room where they were chopping it up and censoring things, but there's no denying that, like, the writers and directors try to anticipate what they're going to cut, and so they self-censor themselves because they're trying to avoid the cuts later, and so, you know, they're gonna cut shit anyway, uh, it, it, it's very frustrating because you you just see it kind of permeate the style. Things become a little bit more sterile. It is very frustrating and uh, and bullshit. So there you go.
1: <laughs> Sorry again, for the hot take on the video nasty. <laughs> everyone. Yeah, yeah, dropping some <laughs> knowledge here. Well, and again, again, this is gonna. This is. Gonna, I don't want to like keep doing this. But did you see Censor by any chance? Yes, very yes. fun. I like it a lot. Yeah, me too. Me too. But just the, the video nasty thing. I like how it tied that into. That, that film, I really enjoyed Censor, but I'll, I'll quit bringing up other horror movies. No. <laughs>
0: hey, man, this is what it's all about. I, I know. loved it. I think that it was super fun, especially because it's not only talking about it textually, but also... You can see a lot of the way that the movie is communicating state of mind through the like uh, ratio or the aspect ratio changing over mm-hmm. the course of the movie and everything. Things become more distorted as she has less of a grip
1: on reality. Yeah. It's
0: just a, a, a whole heap of fun. Yep.
1: I like it a lot. <laughs> if you want to see a slow descent into madness, that's also <laughs> very fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, Of course, I just assume everybody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> before we get into the actual movie there are many accepted versions of of this movie Mm -hmm. the european is the shortest and does cut out a lot of the humor it is a little too trim in my opinion yeah not enough time to get to know and love the gang then there's the theatrical cut and the extended version which is like the can 139 minute cut now I watched for the first time the complete edition, which is 154 minutes and basically combines all of the footage that's available. So if anyone out there is like, I don't remember this scene,
1: that's why I don't want to hear about it. I watched (laughs) the long version. (laughs) Uh, I unfortunately could not find the complete version. So what I watched was the the can cut is my favorite. So that's the one that I have. But I've seen the European cut a handful of times. So like. I will know the sequences that you're referencing when they come up. Um, I just haven't seen them all combined into one film. And I agree with you that the the European cut is the weakest of the bunch. I could absolutely see the argument that the theatrical cut is the strongest, but I'll always come back to the extended cut. Because the thing that I like the most about this movie as I've gotten older is spending time with Peter Roger, Flyboy, mm-hmm. and, and Fran. Like that's, that's my favorite part of this movie. So you get to spend more time with them.
0: I think absolutely that's the case. And additionally, I think that the pacing, having it be a little slow, also helps to sort of make you feel the bubbling claustrophobia, mm-hmm. the feeling of being trapped, you know, as they're spending more time there, you can feel the tensions starting to rise in a way that moving too fast through this movie would kind of eliminate. Oh, for sure.
1: For sure. And and it makes certain characters' outcomes. Hurt more when they happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're not just fodder.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I did also, like I said, I watched the commentary, which went with the theatrical version. So I got I got two in there. And it was really funny. They recorded in George Romero's living room. And so at one point, they'd take a break to just, like, complain about a guy blowing
1: leaves next door. And
0: I was <laughs> like, stars, they're just like us.
1: <laughs> it was the first podcast, basically. <laughs> So to to start it off, this woman is startled awake, which
0: does feel a lot like the intro to Day of the Dead as well. I think that's a fun motif to carry through to the sequel. Mm -hmm. But they're in a news studio and, quote, shit has hit the fan. Uh, (laughs) Some people have left already, but the rest of them are filming a debate about the zombies and abandoning human dignity to dispose of them. Again, like we discussed before, people
1: haven't been listening for three
0: weeks. (laughs) (laughs)
1: well that's okay so first of all that red wall opening is so striking it's such a cool like we're just focusing on this deep blood red sort of wall and we're in this world and you Mm -hmm. know when we last left this universe of the dead it looked like now granted even though night ends on like the most downer fucking note in the world Uh it at the very least looks like humans have the upper hand you know like they they're but this immediately without any, any build up to it throws us into absolutely no, they have not. Everyone is scared and they're mad and they're arguing and you still got people worrying about like what the TV ratings are going to be, be like for like the remaining people that are left in the planet. And I liked that there wasn't even like an explain, like there's no, you know, it could have, it would have been easy to do like a five minute anything to be like, here's how things degraded. After <laughs> right. it. But it doesn't, it's like, nope everything's bad now and he does the same thing with day too you know things are this is like the one that ends with a a small glimmer of hope i guess day sort of does too but day's so fucking bleak from jump you know like right uh, yeah i think
0: i think it is interesting that you get shocked into this world just like they do
1: yeah yeah like you you just you're there and you got to deal with it there's no thinking (laughs) about why it happened
0: yeah um I also like this hit the fan moment. George kind of repeated it on the comment commentary in a way that reinforced it, especially this idea of people having not li- like not- people who haven't listened for three weeks. He said, people screw up every day, you know, order a burger with nothing on it and see if you get it. So imagine <laughs> if the shit hit the fan.
1: I said, yeah, George. Well, And that again comes down to his weird, the humanity that he has in his movies, but also his complete and utter distaste for humanity in certain ways. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I mean and you do see it time and time again, not just in the zombie movies, the crazies even. Like uh the amusement park most recent recently is figure or like it's kind of weird <laughs> timeline wise, but Yeah. Did you like that one? I did love it. S- so I did really I. thought it was like truly one of the most like depressing and affecting <laughs> movies yeah. I've seen in a really long time. The idea of these poor Lutherans being like oh there's a local director let's hire him to make this psa for us <laughs> and putting that in i can't necessarily blame them for being like <laughs> this is not what we ordered <laughs> but also it fucking rules
1: <laughs> yeah just imagine them get But who the fuck did they think they were working with you know <laughs> i truly
0: think that like somebody in the church was like Oh, my friend Sarah, her her boy George is doing these (laughs) films now. He just had a smash hit. I don't know what it's about,
1: though. (laughs) Some kind of bottle thing. I don't know. (laughs) A sleepover night of something.
0: (laughs) We also get our Romero cameo here with his scarf there at the booth. Mm -hmm. And that's also his wife, Chris, there next to him, who, like I said, he worked with her on Martin as well. Although they didn't get married until they worked on Night Riders together, which also rocks. Yeah. Although they told a, like kind of a nightmarish story of the premiere during this commentary, uh, where they were at a drive-in and the audio was way too low and there were bats everywhere and nobody could hear anything. And I'm like, <laughs> that's a really
1: long movie to be straining to hear for. Well, and did you say bats everywhere? Bats. What's scarier to me is how many fucking bats must there have been for it to be drowning out the sound, even if it were low.
0: (laughs) Great point. Great point.
1: (laughs) That's where I'm scared.
0: (laughs) I do like this bit of goodness that we get from uh, Francine, although she gets called mostly Fran or Franny through the movie where she shuts off the superimposed text that has rescue stations because it's out of date, despite her boss getting pissed because people will stop watching, which, I mean, that's as grim as as anything. Yeah,
1: Fran, in this movie, feels like Romero wanted to do a big-time course correction for what he did with Barbara in Night of the Living Dead, where she, and granted, Fran has her moments too, but it's mostly because it's a boys' club that refuses to let her join in. Right, she's like, hey... I want to be part of this. (laughs) Yes. And it's a bunch of like dudes being like, no way, lady.
0: You know, (laughs) like, okay, that's nice, sweetie. You stay here.
1: (laughs) You know, in in Night of the Living Dead, Barbara spends the movie screaming in catatonic. Like, those are her Mm -hmm. two states that she's in in that movie. And Fran absolutely feels like a course correction because she's assertive. She doesn't put up with bullshit from Flyboy or any of the guys. You know, she lays into all of them when they piss her off. And yeah, I just, I really like Fran. Fran a ton in this movie.
0: Yeah, especially I think that's a great point because we see later on, spoiler alert for later in this movie, she is pregnant Mm -hmm. and her refusal to sort of let Steven even see her as having any sort of weakness there as being more infirm than the boys is something that she rejects
1: wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And like when they're trying to make the decision for her, like, do you want to abort it? Which right. I also love that for whatever reason Peter knows how to perform an abortion. I'm not really they don't really explain how why. But, SWAT. Uh, they teach you in SWAT. <laughs> He's he like I know how, and I believe him. I'm like okay, Peter, you know how to do an sure. abortion. Fuck it, I'm here. I'm I'm for it. Martial law is in effect. Speaking of SWAT, and
0: Stephen tells Fran to meet him on the roof at nine so that they can escape. They're gonna fly out of here in the weather chopper. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia. Some SWAT guys are waiting to fight a group who are resisting this martial law. They don't want to hand over the, the bodies of their dead. One of these cops is this very racist guy. There's also a greenhorn there who immediately gets shot
1: in the dome. And Roger. <laughs> and that guy looks like a giant child that gets shot in the head. He has that like really weird like four-year-old haircut. <laughs> His helmet's like four sizes too big. He's like, gosh, Mr. Roger. I hope everything turns out okay. <laughs> He's giant like, lollipop. <laughs> There might as well be a target on his forehead like you know he's dead. (laughs) The racist cop does
0: go nuts. He starts breaking in doors and shooting, including this exploding head from a shotgun, which is very, very fun. They said that it was originally a cast of Galen Ross's head. Yeah. And then they were like, ah, oh, we don't actually need this prop anymore. So let's just explode it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought is it didn't he fill it with a melon filled with blood as well or something like that? Isn't that how they got all the blood into it? Was there's like yeah, it was like that wrapped that around a like, watermelon? I mean, it also
0: has like kind of like a weird shape to it, like <laughs> right. it's being stretched out. So
1: That's right though, because that head was a, supposed to be a prop in what was supposed to be the original ending, correct? right, right, right. Okay. Right. That's right. I forgot about that.
0: This guy, like I said, he's going wild, but he does get killed by a big masked cop, but not before he opens the door for some zombies to attack. This is, like I said, great stuff that is later mirrored by Roger himself, which is a far cry from his current sickened state. You get to see
1: sort of his path downward. Well, and that's part of what I like about Roger in this movie is that, okay, so you've got Roger's basically a guy who is not equipped for this New life where you know, Flyboy. Okay, Flyboy is like typically what that character looks like. He's bumbling, he's Roger's not like Roger's fairly efficient. Oh, he's, yeah. he's good with the guy in that part where he is just shoving Flyboy's gun out of the way to take down people that he's missing very calmly. Very, <laughs> yeah. but like throughout the movie, you see well, from that scene in that apartment where you see that like his mentally he is cracking. Mm-hmm. And it's ultimately what leads to his downfall, you know? But like, typically with these characters, they're the type if you got a character who's not available for that world, they're either like bumbling like Flyboy or they're a fucking coward. And he's mm-hmm. neither of those things. Yeah. He, he just ultimately, his inability to accept that like this is not a world that he's cut out for this is his undoing. Absolutely.
0: And it, it becomes so ironic because early on when he's talking to Stephen, who is very bumbling, he says, "Like the minute that you stop taking them seriously is like the minute that you sign your own death warrant, basically." Uh-huh. And we see him being like, "Oh, I'm just gonna like slow down to take shots at these guys." Uh-huh. He start he stops taking them seriously as a threat, and he he does ultimately pay the price for it.
1: Well, and though you know, you see during that scene where like that part where he gets in the truck and he's like, "Perfect, baby, just perfect." He's like got that like like oh, fucking yeah. like he's, he's about to the Kubrick stare shit. Yeah, like. <laughs> and and the the you know I talk about another one of those small scenes in this getting ahead a little bit I guess but you know that part where that happens he runs around the truck and that zombie puts its hand on his face and it's like this really subtle shot of him but like everything his, his brashness just drops out immediately you know yeah
0: you see you see the sort of facade that much like the way that they quickly tear down the <laughs> the wall that they built. For, for the wing there, so too do they quickly tear down his walls. Yep, exactly. He does run into the basement where the masked cop that killed the racist is hiding. Although Roger is like, hey, man, no skin off my back. So they chill out and it's Peter and they agree to run away together with his friend Stephen. It's very sweet. There's like <laughs> genuinely
1: a beautiful love story between these two happening. In this Yeah, movie. <laughs> my favorite parts of this movie you know, I, I it's and again, this is going to sound ridiculous, maybe, but I have spent so much time with this movie that these four feel like friends of mine when I watch it. Like I'm hanging out with my pals for two and a half hours. But Peter and Roger scenes are my favorite. Like they're it's dudes rock when they're together. Like you hear the <laughs> phrase dudes rock. Like whenever they're together doing thing, it's like the ultimate dudes rock movie. Like it is Absolutely. incredible.
0: Oh yeah, they're they're chewing it up. They're having a great time. The, I feel like the only times that we even see Peter smile in this movie are the times when he's chopping it up with Roger. Yeah. I love their friendship. Yeah. I also love this priest who comes out and he's like, these people had nothing except their dignity and you've taken that, which is fine because you're stronger than us, but I think they, and then he gestures at the zombies might be stronger than you. When the dead walk, we must stop the killing or we'll lose the war. And I feel like this is really sort of a like thesis moment where <laughs> Romero is like, "All right, five paragraph essay style. Let's get this in at the beginning."
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think I think he does a good job. of You know what? I agree, but I think the vessel that he uses to deliver that message does it in a way that you don't really notice oh, it that you're being a lectured to. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't read it as such, but to some people, that does sound like one where it's like, "Oh, we're getting an exposition dump, lecturey sort of." But it's done in a way that, like, this character, because they just used, uh, I'm pretty sure that they just picked him because he genuinely had one leg, if I remember correctly. It was, like, the Daniel. reason that they picked this guy, because he was <laughs> genuinely missing a leg. I forget what his, his backstory is, but I think he might have even been, like, an actual, like, a uh, priest might not be the right word, but some sort of, like, religious cleric or something. Sure. And that might be the same thing. I'm a heathen. So maybe religious <laughs> cleric and priest are the same thing. I don't know.
0: The, truly, the other day, <laughs> I had to ask. So... Tomorrow, this won't matter to the listener, but for you, tomorrow I'm recording an episode about signs, and I am Jewish, and so I literally had to ask, I was like, this is going to sound like a really dumb question, but is a reverend and a priest the same thing? And my friends (laughs) are like, no, one is Catholic and one is (laughs) other denominations.
1: I didn't know that, and I was actually raised a Catholic. I had to wow. go to, like, Catholic school – not Catholic school, but I, like CCD. It's this, like, nighttime thing for – mainly to keep my grandparents happy, which is weird because my grandparents weren't very deeply religious either. But I went, like, took eight years of this shit at night, so I should remember this, but I don't. I don't remember any of it. So. I,
0: think, I think Reverend is the Catholic one. It's possible also that I'm getting it wrong again. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure I'll hear about it, but <laughs> – so like i said i watched the complete cut which does put the goblin score back in Mm -hmm. and so i'm not going to comment on any stock stuff so if you're listening to it and the music is different again deal with it i guess (laughs) but the goblins track here is great it's like kind of spiraling out of control as peter and roger clear the basement really fits the tone perfectly
1: yeah i know exactly which track you're talking about and like i said i I didn't remember that being what scored that scene in the movie, but that is it that is an incredible track. Cause yeah, I had the stock sound, which also a lot of the stock music works very well in this too, I feel like. Yeah. In, in its own way. And it's maybe just because I've seen it that way so many times comparatively to the European cut that it, it's in my head, that's how it always <laughs> is. But yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool choice there.
0: Yeah, I like also this specific cut did have some of the Muzak and stuff that's Mm -hmm. in the movie that uh, it did work really well with it. Especially, I mean, that last one over the credits, you got to have.
1: Okay, I was about to ask, does it happen? (laughs) 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 Gotta have that calliope,
0: folks. Steve and Fran refuel while they wait for Roger, and here's an interesting difference between the theatrical and the longer versions that I actually did notice, which is that in the longer ones, they get threatened with theft by Joe Pilato, who does go on to give the performance of a lifetime in Day of the Dead, Mm -hmm. and it really adds to the on-edge feeling, sort of sets up this idea that, you know, like you said, oh, now it's not crazy to be like, oh, humanity is the real monster, but the idea that so quickly people are at each other's throats and already separating into these, like, tribes, basically, is, I mean, certainly more interesting in the context of 1978.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, when I say that, it's because a lot of people took Romero's ideas and tried to run with them in ways that, like, either just regurgitated what he'd previously done. For all three. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Not, yeah, it's, but they did it, like, or a much more clumsy or heavy-handed way. Mm-hmm. I want to be honest with you. I never thought that I would like this, but I will also defend the Dawn of the Dead remake. I was so ready to hate it when it came out, but mm-hmm. I like that it doesn't really even try to have any commentary. It's just like here's a very fast-paced sure. zombie film, like and it. But I like it better for that. Like I think it, I, I, it Zach, has to I do its like,
0: own thing. It has to. How can yeah. you try and rip off the master like that?
1: Yeah, it just was basically like here's a fun zombie movie. You yeah. know, like, yeah. and it works as such. Had it tried to do like similar themes, then I feel like it probably would have been very clumsy.
0: Yeah, I, really, the setting is like the only like, similarity. Main, yeah, like the group is way bigger; they're at each other's throats. The mm-hmm. zombies are fast, yeah. which is a huge difference. Obviously, speeds up the pace of the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a zombie baby in that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty wild. <laughs> I was really shocked. I went into it ready to fucking hate it. And I was like, that was, it was actually pretty good. I hate to yeah, it. Yeah, but it got picked for this show.
0: And I was like, do you mean the 1978 version? <laughs> <laughs> and they were
1: like, no. And then we watched it. And I was like, wow, I had a
0: really good time.
1: Yeah, it's a fun one. It's a fun one. Props where props is due. I mean, if you can remake yeah. my favorite movie of all time and I don't walk away hating it, you did. you did good.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, this definitely got a boost from the being the first movie out of the pan. Well, I mean, you know, out of the pandemic is a relative term. But once movie theaters opened up again, mm-hmm. Army of the Dead was the first movie
1: that I saw. And I was like, I am even having
0: fun with this. I don't
1: <laughs> care. <laughs> I still haven't gotten around to that one. And I kind of want to just because it's, you know, Zack Snyder going back to the well. I don't want to say it because yeah. it sounds like he had, it's usually like an insult. But like, you know. Return to his roots.
0: Definitely. I, I had fun with it. I know a lot of people don't like it. I'm not going to try and convince you out there. But yeah. yeah. I had fun with it. It was good. At, it was a good time at the theater. So, you know, maybe you'll like it. Who the hell knows? Yeah. <laughs> So they, one of the cops also asks for the cigarette, and they all pretend not to have any, but then they fly away, and Roger and Fran immediately light up. It is amazing. It's very funny, but also, again, demonstrates that hoarding tribal mentality instead of taking care of each other.
1: That part, as somebody who was at one time a pack-and-a-half-a-day smoker, was like one <laughs> of the ones that really sat with me because I was like, I have no fucking way. I'd, I, I, I love that kid that does that when he does that fucking goofy face when they're like what way you go and they point to the sky and he like like it takes him a second and he does that really funny look of realization before he runs off yeah I I love that little bit but it cracks me up every time I watch it when they all and it's like as soon as it like it's like that helicopter is like an inch off of the ground everybody saw them lighting (laughs) (laughs) What's he going to do now? You know,
0: there is also some backstory here that I think is only in the extended versions, but Roger and Fran only have ex-spouses while Peter is worried about his two brothers. Mm -hmm. The army and some good old boy volunteers are having themselves in a, a great time with a zombie hunt down below as they fly away from the big towns. I love this great little detail where they stop at this hangar and the break room is, like, littered with these notes saying things like, Klaus Plumer, wait as long as I could. Sia and I are going to try for Akron. Love, Gerda. Which, first of all, (laughs) the Pennsylvania Dutch
1: explains all the fucking weird-ass names. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That bit with them flying over the rural area is another one. Is somebody... I think actually, more than anything in all of his movies, that is the one that rings the most true to me mm-hmm. in regards to how things might proceed if there were a Z, zo- where like you would absolutely have good old boy types. And I'm look, I'm saying that as somebody who like loves me some good old boy types. I grew up <laughs> in rural, I'm in rural Ohio, but they would absolutely be the type that would be like, we're gonna get out there and we're gonna shoot. Like they would love that shit. They would yeah. love that shit. And and like that, it gives you that really awesome, awesome haunting shot of the three zombies sort of trudging and the, the slow shots that take them all down. Like I, I think Romero sometimes doesn't get credit for having a keen eye as a director, more so his ideas, but I think he does some incredibly interesting things as a director as far as it, I will be the first to concede that he's not always the best at getting a great performance out of his lead actors and actresses, although I also don't think that they're bad, but he has such a great eye for composition and shots that I don't think he gets the credit for as much as he does like the ideas that he brought to his films.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's a great point about this, this like troop here, especially because you can easily see how that might spin out into the raiding party that we see later on. Mm-hmm. But additionally, this is something that does kind of get played with a little bit in the remake of *Night of the Living Dead* as well, which is obviously directed by Tom Savini. Mm-hmm. So he's here; he sees all this happening, and at the very end of that one, when Barbara walks out among all of these guys, you know, it, it's very much playing with her being like one of this party now, like mm-hmm. uh, or like one of this this group of of the people out hunting. So it is uh, interesting to see. Those takes on it. I do think that it feels realistic to have more like these party sequences than people being like, all right, time to like strap up, load <laughs>
1: out. <laughs> I, I really wish I could warm up to that movie a little more than I have over the years. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like Savini's Night of the Living Dead, but like I, there are some people that hold it in extremely high regards. And yeah. I personally, I think it's fine. And I've tried so many times, I own it. I own it. I've tried. And I've always just kind of come away like, it's fine. It's a fine It's reading. too
0: restrained. Unfortunately, it's too restrained in my yep.
1: opinion. Yeah. For
0: Tom Sorry, Savini folks. at the helm. <laughs> Sorry to break the kayfabe because it has been picked for the show. And I did call it the best horror movie ever made one week, but it's too restrained.
1: <laughs> if you call out this as being a lie, I will I will uninvite you from my career. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. This is the best. This is the best horror movie ever made, of course. Yeah, well, for the next hour or whatever. <laughs> no,
0: the best forever. <laughs> Steve gets his first kill here, where they're attacked outside, and Peter uh, has to kill some zombies, uh, children as well, played by Tom Savini's niece and nephew, uh,
1: (laughs) as well as the logo of the movie zombie. I love that that one's, I almost, this is so funny, I almost got that logo tattooed on myself at one time, just because the idea that I knew what my favorite movie of all time was was such an interesting thing to me, and I was going to get that tattooed somewhere. Never went through with it. This was back when I was like 22. And like, I have a couple regrettable tattoos, <laughs> um, but I feel like that's one that I now would be like, I'm really glad I got that. Maybe someday yeah. I will still. But that's such a cool looking zombie design. And I'm like, of all the ones to end up on the cover, though, you know, he doesn't have much of a role in the movie. He's only in it for a few seconds, but yeah, he's the face of the movie. He really is. He really literally
0: the face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have a, a bunch of like horror-y tattoos and stuff here, but the one that I have gotten that I'm like, oh yeah, there's a uh, this little Quint Jaws tattoo. Oh, that's
1: so good! That's so good.
0: <laughs> that's a fun
1: one. <laughs> I was really pleased with that. <laughs> that's incredible. That's a that's a, yeah. I I I wish I had more tats. Honestly,
0: I used it as like I was like, this will be a way for me to get over my fear of needles turns out they're like totally different kinds of needles so it didn't right. actually work for that <laughs> but now i'm addicted to getting tattoos
1: <laughs> for a minute i thought you're gonna say no i'm addicted to getting shots <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a, a alternate timeline george that just split and <laughs> that's the path
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just constantly hanging inside of clinic's like let me get one of them shots i don't do anything in it just put the needle in me. <laughs> one
0: guy gets close to roger But climbing over some crates, chops off the top of his head with the helicopter
1: blades, which rules. They cut that from the European version, which is like one of the reasons the European version is inferior, because that is one of the coolest zombie things in the world. I mean, look, it's so easy to tell that it's an effect because the guy's head is like a whole foot taller on top. (laughs) But I don't care.
0: They literally were uh, in the commentary. Tom was like. Yeah, part of the reason why we picked this guy is not only because he was one of the only people who were willing to stick his head next to a rotating helicopter blade, but also because he just had kind of like a squat head, so it looked less (laughs) crazy for all the makeup to be (laughs) kicked on top.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, he literally, he he looks like Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's funny.
0: He didn't get hurt here, although, interestingly, maybe, to me at least, uh, Savini himself got hurt doing a stunt for the guy who gets shot off the motorcycle later.
1: Okay, I was wondering because I know he does. He also Savini. You also see Savini is one of the guys who gets when you see the trampoline visibly in the background when uh, <laughs> they run over when they're like moving the trucks around, and you could for one one shot you could see the trampoline. But Savini was like the guy flying off of that trampoline too. So oh, yeah, he was doing it all acting, yeah. stunts, makeup. He's a wild yeah. man, and probably out getting fucked up every night. From the, he was yeah. a pretty wild guy from what I heard. There too. was the
0: bar in. The mall that they didn't even have to go anywhere. (laughs) Steve is uh, having to reckon with himself here after Roger shows Steve up with his accuracy. And then Peter has to be like, hey, man, we stole this helicopter. We're bad guys, too. Like, he's really having to reckon with his idea of who he is now that Mm -hmm. shit has hit the fan and uh, the true Steven has been revealed.
1: Well and he just shot two children even though they were zombies which you can yeah. tell sort of shook him up a little bit too. I really love Flyboy's arc in this movie because he does start off as like a very loathsome person yeah. and doesn't end that way. Yeah, I like his and yeah cuz like he like I said, he's the. I mean, even even up until and again, not getting. But the part where you know, I don't know if you'll ever cover this part, but there's a part where they like they get excited and they're like, "Come on, flyboy!" And he's like, "Woohoo!" It's like the <laughs> dorkiest, like you know, he like doesn't belong there. He belongs there less than Fran does when they're out with them for sure. And mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I you know, he's just completely inept. He can't <laughs> do anything right. He fires a gun at Peter, and it, yeah, it's but his arc is really great in this movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it a lot. They land at the Monroeville Mall, which is powered by nuclear energy. There are plenty of zombies in there already, but it doesn't seem like there's anyone on the second floor. So they want to get in from the roof, especially when they see a civil defense water supply. This is also where we get the great line about what are they doing here? Some memory. This was an important place in their lives. It's very <laughs> <laughs> on the nose. Yeah. But it's fun. I, I no. like it. You know, all of the like times where they try and be mysterious. I'm like, yeah, that's fun, guys.
1: <laughs> no, I, I look, I have no problem. I've said before, again, on my show that I have no problem with on the nose. Like, I mm-hmm. think people get too work worked up about like, well, that's a little on the nose. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Sometimes it's okay to just be clear about what you're saying. <laughs> well, that also the mall thing. The, the scene where they land on the roof. So the mall dates this movie in two completely different ways as the movies lived on over the years. Mm-hmm. So like in the 80s and 90s, they said that it used to get a big laugh, the scene where he was like, what is that thing? Because malls were so prevalent at that point. But at that time that this was made, it was still a novel thing to have a giant shopping mall. Right. And now it dates it because shopping malls don't fucking exist anymore. <laughs> so like the mall as a setting, you know, is one that, Absolutely has set this movie to a very specific time and place, basically. Yeah. Hey,
0: the movie outlived the entire concept of malls, basically. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. They break the glass. They hop in. Roger says, looks like a free lunch. And of course, we're all like, no such thing, pal. No such (laughs) thing. While Steven sleeps, Peter and Roger decide this place is a gold mine, so they head down, they find the keys to the kingdom and some walkie-talkies before doing a hit and run on the mall proper. And again, talking about the music real quick, there's some like church music happening from Goblin when they first get a glimpse of the mall interior, and it really made me laugh. You know, there's not enough (laughs) audio jokes, like jokes in the score
1: in movies these days. (laughs) And again. I don't remember the musical cues with the goblin score, so I yeah. but I know I have the goblin score, so I know what song you're talking about. Yeah. And piecing it together with that particular scene, yes, that's that's very funny. Yeah.
0: They also turn on the power to the rest of them all, escalator music, fountains, the works. And here's where we see Steven. He wants to run down and join in them after being emasculated, despite <laughs> Fran's objections. <laughs> but Roger and Peter are doing all right. They're getting into the department store and start this like start starts the fun fantasy second act of this movie where you get to hang out in the mall and grab whatever you like. I especially like this scene at the very beginning here where Roger gets scared by a mannequin and then is like pissed at himself about it.
1: (laughs) I mean, look, there's no, there's no, every man gets scared by things. It's okay, Roger, but that comes down again to Roger's whole, like, you know, you know what Roger and Peter's relationship somewhat reminds me of in this movie. You remember the, only roger's not annoying but you know remember the old cartoons with like the big dog and the little dog and the little 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 dog they'd be like hey 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 like that's kind of like their dynamic in this yeah it is like roger just wants to uh, impress peter (laughs) and who can blame him (laughs) right but peter doesn't give a shit because he likes roger already so that's right oh it's it is a beautiful relationship
0: (laughs) yeah i love it steven of course starts firing wildly at a zombie among the pipes (laughs)
1: Idiot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So funny. And of course, insanely dangerous when it starts ricocheting around like crazy. And he only chooses to get close enough when he's out of ammo. This dude truly is bumbling through this place like Mr. Magoo.
1: Just, just, yeah. He just, like, it it is pure luck that gets him (laughs) through the first three or two acts of this movie. Yeah.
0: Pure luck and Peter saving his ass time and again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The mannequin bit does actually pay off, though, when Roger is attacked, but he saves himself with a screwdriver to the ear this scene is really interesting because first of all, just kind of a cool effect. And it was actually a straw with a tiny syringe full of blood in it. And also the whole scene was kind of improvised on the day because they were just trying to fix a continuity error where he suddenly lost his jacket.
1: Yeah. I was going to bring that up. If you didn't, that they did that. Cause it's, it's one of the more memorable effects in the movie. I think it's one of the ones that people remember a lot is the, like the screwdriver through the ear and the blood pooling up. And I have to assume that that, Poor actor ended up with fake blood inside of his ear canal. No matter how much they tried to protect it, yeah, but, it seems probable. <laughs> you know, one hundred percent no complete. union, baby. One hundred percent improvised. You know, I think honestly, a really interesting documentary that you could probably do to milk a little bit more out of Dawn of the Dead would be to co- find every living person that portrayed a zombie in that movie mm. nowadays, and like see what they what they. It be, I think you could do like an interesting like what, what was your life like following this because none of them I mean none of them had like fame from this movie but like right. catch up with like what their life was like and like how cool it was that this one moment in time kind of shares like kind of bonds them all like
0: <laughs> yeah well I will say they actually pointed out a few zombies who did go on to like direct things that they said for who were like just like their friends and stuff so some of the zombies who were that way um, did actually go on to some fame but I do think that that would be a lot of fun especially because. Uh, a lot of these, like, uh, fandom documentaries are very in vogue right now. There's, like, a Evil yeah. Dead one, uh, Monster Squad one as well.
1: That one was fun as
0: hell. Yeah, and, and so I think that you could tie that in pretty easily to uh, flesh out whatever time you needed to, to <laughs> get these interviews together. <laughs>
1: uh, I don't I think, think there's something here. It'd be hard to track them down, I feel like. I don't even know if they all get credited in the credits. Like, I don't know. They're how They're all find
0: them. still in the same exact towns around Monroeville. <laughs> <laughs> still in their zombie makeup. <laughs> They've been waiting for this the whole time. <laughs> Peter is thinking that they should actually hold up here for a bit, especially when Flyboy discovers a duct that they can crawl through uh, on the map, which lets them avoid the ghouls Grab a wheelbarrow full of supplies and save Fran, who is dangling from a ladder while a Hare Krishna zombie attacks.
1: What is the music cue in the European version or the version you saw when she's being attacked by the zombie? Because I love the disconcerting ass mm-hmm. music that they use in the scene where she's being attacked by the Hare Krishna. And I don't you might not remember, but yeah, it's like this, this... whirly like we do, we do, like it's this really oh. creepy fucking music that they pulled out. That might be it.
0: Okay. I mean, because it's, I mean, it's, uh, that one didn't necessarily stand out to me, but that is ringing a bell at least. So I don't, I don't have this one written down as a specific goblin track, but, uh, it was definitely disconcerting. I like the attack a lot, especially because the whole time they're like, oh, you'll be safe up here, no problem. And Mm -hmm. then Steven has to, of course, abandon his post because he's worried about being left behind and being treated like a woman in his mind. And and it's just, there's a lot going on. It's all working for me, baby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's again comes down to Flyboy. As much as Flyboy's character arc changes, his relationship with Fran is completely unsalvageable. And that's a point that this hammers home. Like they're their relationship is unfixable, but Flyboy, at the very least, gets some redemption, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right. He's not at, as, at
0: least on a personal level.
1: Yeah. He does, He when they
0: get back, he's been seduced by them all. He says, you should see all the great stuff we got, Franny, all kinds of stuff. This place is terrific. And she's just like, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's one of the things that I really enjoy, too, is that even our heroes, they're completely susceptible to this. I think Peter should be the one who knows better. Mm -hmm. of all of the ones in all the people in here the calm collected level-headed peter is just as susceptible to this idea of like we have everything at our disposal here and here's this completely fictional world that we're going to build for ourselves that everything is okay meanwhile the monsters are right outside the door yeah but guess what i can go take money out of a bank vault that i'm never going to use for anything i can but here's here's the thing I would have done the fucking same. If I had full run of them all in that situation, there's no way I'm leaving that place. None. No chance.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a really great point. I think it's especially driven home by Fran. You know, the radio updates are looking grim and Flyboy is getting cocky. He's like, I can't believe they let it get this bad. I can't believe they couldn't handle it all. All they had to do was organize if people would just do what they had to be done. And this is where they do kind of bring him down to earth a little bit. Peter does this, and he also notes that Fran looks more ill than just being in shock would do. So this is where they have the abortion talk, and and things come to a head when they realize that Fran is actually awake. And she says, it's all bright and nicely wrapped, so you don't see that this is a prison too. And she's pissed at how they are hypnotized by this place, despite being cool and level-headed. And I think that such a huge part of this is that they're trying to maintain sort of a, a sense of identity and distinction from the zombies by, by having the stuff and building this like physical barrier. They're saying, we are different than them. Mm-hmm. And it's also a way to kind of kick the can down the road, so to speak, on the crushing trauma of the way the world has changed. By creating sort of a microcosm of the way the world used to be, by pretending that nothing has changed, let's go to the mall and get a ton of shit.
1: And the thing is, if they could have held, if it, were, if it weren't for the bikers, they probably could have stayed there for a, a very long time at the very least, because they really did have everything at their disposal.
0: Yeah, yeah, but unfortunately, humanity is their own worst enemy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fran does also stand up for herself here vis-a-vis wanting to be included, and also she wants to learn how to fly the helicopter just in case. Peter thinks this is a good idea, but Steven is pissed because this is his unique selling proposition here. His purpose. His (laughs) only
1: reason that they haven't tossed him off the roof of the mall yet.
0: Especially, I mean, again, I think that this is not in the theatrical cut just because it's part of the, like, threat to steal the helicopter at the beginning but when joe palato and the other cops are like oh should we take this the reason that they ultimately are like no we're gonna leave him alone is because they don't want anything that they can't drive themselves yeah and if something happens to him they'd be stuck and i like that this comes back and that it is on everyone's mind here especially because they were there you know (laughs) fran saw that happen she heard that conversation that's been stewing the whole time
1: and she's like they're (laughs) fucking right (laughs) <laughs> I don't even like this guy anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got to teach me how to fly his goddamn copter. <laughs> the gang
0: goes out to get some trucks and they use them to block the doors. It's a great moment with the get its head up as Roger is attacked, which I really love. And he takes it pretty personally. <laughs> <laughs> Does the Michael Jordan. I took that personally. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I I hate seeing Roger. Again, this is where Roger's facade Is what eventually kills him you know he's like screaming and he's whooping and he's he's having fun but like like i said earlier there's that part where the zombie caresses his face and you see the crack showing and you know that he's going to fuck this up with the trucks and it's going to go very badly for him and you know you brought up a good point too that like i had forgotten about the whole don't take your eyes off them, don't treat them like they're less than you but i feel like he did a combination of two mistakes he did that on top of this again the fact that he probably was not meant to be out there doing all this anyways and was just doing it to like really show peter that like i'm i'm as big and strong as you are and i'm mm. as cool and collected as you are but he was not right
0: yeah oh absolutely peter says are you all right and he, and that's when we get that perfect baby perfect yeah and it's so great perfect delivery Speaking of perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts, like, laughing gleefully as he runs some down. He's, like, swerving in the yep. road to hit them and everything, taking too long on the transfer because he stopped to shoot instead of just going. And Peter has to warn him to get his head on straight after they realize that Roger left his bag in the other truck. And he pays the price for it. He doesn't even get a chance to redeem himself because he gets bit a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah. Once in the arm and then once in the ankle when they go for it. And again, yeah, the minute you underestimate them
1: is the minute that you uh, pay the price. I don't think they quite detail just how bad his leg wound is either, except for the fact that that zombie turns around with like an entire mouthful of human. <laughs> like she's like her mouth is full.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's it's gross. And Peter is like shocked when he's like, oh, I can walk on it. And he's like,
1: can you? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I like even to fight to the end, Roger. Like we got a lot to do before you can afford to lose me. Like oh,
0: amazing line, I love that so much. It's sad. I hate Roger dying. I hate it. Yeah, and he says it like kind of nervously too, because he knows he's dead. <laughs> yeah, and Stephen and Peter go for the guns and ammo in a store that they saw from the ducks while Fran patches Roger up. And once they're stocked, they all four head out, all kitted up. Very funny with Roger in the wheelbarrow here with the gun. And
1: he's shooting <laughs> yeah. while they push him around. I love it. He's still cr- a crack shot from a wheelbarrow, even injured. Oh, yeah. Very impressive.
0: They run to lock up the main entrances using the, like one of the cars
1: that's just in the mall. <laughs> the giveaway cars, I guess. <laughs> and he gets that fucking... Another scene that makes me squirm is when that zombie puts her thumb into his fucking Ooh. leg wound. Reopens it. Yeah. That's unnecessary zombie. Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> Roger's been through enough.
0: I do, though, we get a really interesting moment here that does sort of play with the bubness of them all when we get a quiet moment with the zombie guy just kind of mirroring Fran and sitting yeah. there next to her. Very cool, poignant moment that is
1: kind of shocking in the context of the rest of this movie. Well, because you had that scene and the scene right prior where she freed that nun. Like, she has no reason to really do that. The nun's stuck, but she, like, feels sympathy for her. And then, like, right after that is where, yeah, they're sitting there and that zombie. It's that's what I'm talking about where George has always cast a bit of a sympathetic eye to, like, like, zombies can't help what they are. Like, they're not, like, malicious. They're they're whatever. Pure instinct. That's what we said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the gang does clear out the rest of the zombies that are already in the mall. And the next item on the docket is building a wall to block the hallway with the stairwell in case a
1: patrol comes through. I'm sure that it won't. They'll probably be fine. <laughs> yeah, we, we see how it works.
0: <laughs> Roger is looking less than picturesque. The infection is spreading quickly. Nobody bit has lasted longer than three days, Peter says, or at least in his experience. And
1: he calls out for Peter. We did it, didn't we? We whipped him beautiful what i what i love about that scene too like what i fucking love that part because he yeah he's like didn't we whip him we whipped him and we got it all and then it cuts to him and he like realizes that he's like in a room by himself and like it's such a desolate shot there's they hang on it they linger on it for like two or three seconds where he like yells and like he's excited and then he kind of like stops and looks at what he's surrounded by and it's like nothing he's in a room by himself and he's dying yeah, everybody dies alone, they say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Not to get too dark. <laughs> <laughs> I love Roger casually shopping here for tools, which is very fun. Plays, <laughs> Ooh, that looks fun. <laughs> Playing video games. <laughs> and this is where we get the moment where Franny pushes him away when he finds her having morning sickness. This is my problem, she says. They're also clearing out the corpses so it doesn't rot them out. They stick them in the freezer, which is funny. I, I know that they were like, oh, some assholes going to be like,
1: wouldn't the smell
0: drive them out? Let's <laughs> find a way to figure this out,
1: everyone. <laughs> it also leads to another one of those spectacular George shots, which is that shot in the dark mm. in the inside of the cooler where it yeah. almost looks like you're looking down a long hallway at a door sitting open before the light turns on and you realize you're looking through a window. It's just a really neat composition for that shot. It's so cool. Yeah, it is great.
0: Fran takes Roger to the fountain, which is also another like nice moment of humanity, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, let's enjoy nature, great <laughs> <In> quotes, <laughs> big air quotes happening here for the listener. <laughs> <laughs> also, we do get another like shopping sequence, and this is uh, the most telling, where Peter does grab a bunch of money, he says, you never know. What I think is an underrated moment, though, that gets overshadowed by the money one, is when Ken lifts the giant bread and says, manja. <laughs>
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's well, this is where he and Flyboy are starting to finally become kind of buddies, you know, Mm -hmm. like Flyboy has started to be better. Yeah, he's pulling his weight a little more. Yeah, he's 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 earning his like part with the group and not Fran so much. But, you know, he's he now feels like part of the group instead of an outsider, you know, which is not how he had felt for most of the movie.
0: The sound of the zombies outside is still disturbing them. Fran says, what are they? Like where did they come from? All the all the the reporters' questions. She's going for it, <laughs> and Peter says they're us. There is no more room in hell, so the dead walk the earth.
1: Which is probably my favorite explanation and also non-explanation of where zombies come from. Like it's not scientific. It's literally rooted in like religious fiction. He even says his his grandfather, I think, is the one he gets it from yes. or whatever. And he yep. says
0: that it's like he was like a voodoo priest which uh, like ties into the original where zombies Zombies. came from and everything
1: yeah very fun moment yep but i just love that saying and i don't know if that was here's the thing that might have been taken from some sort of religious text so if it is i'm sorry but if when there's no more room in hell the dead will walk the earth is such a fucking cool explanation for (laughs) zombies
0: yeah it rules and like you said it simultaneously says everything and nothing at the same time right
1: it's not (laughs) a scientific explanation but like it's it's not Mitochlorians where they're over-explaining <laughs> shit. Like, it's like a fun little- All right, hold in- on now.
0: <laughs> we, let's not throw away Mitochlorians right away. We can- <laughs> Zombies with, with force powers? <laughs> now we're talking. Get George Lucas on the phone. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. <laughs>
1: Hey George, your first name's George, just like Romero's. Wow. Why don't you
0: do this? Oh my God, it's all coming together.
1: Well, it's the shared, it's the George yep, the, multiverse,
0: the Georgia verse, including me, George. <laughs> I'm gonna write on it. Yeah, that's right,
1: that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that didn't even like strike me. Yeah, well, you got to join in to that.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I'm in. I'm the flyboy of the group, though, where I'm
1: like, me too, guys.
0: Roger is degrading quick in his little sick bay and really great moment where he promises Peter I'm going to try not to come back. Uh-huh. And you feel like he believes it. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 really great. The news has also gotten to a, a fever pitch where the scientist berates his audience calling them <laughs> dummies, dummies, dummies.
1: I love him in this. Like he's perfect casting for that character.
0: <laughs> and his final thought Like what? What his uh, his logic leads him to is let's just nuke all the major cities.
1: And they're like, I bet you're serious. He's like, I am serious. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. And he, but you can see that he is clearly cracked as well. That he's clinging to logic in the face of the illogical. Yeah, that he's 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 repeating. We've got to remain logical to himself over and over again. The strain has clearly taken a toll on him as well. Sometimes you cannot logic your way out of a situation, it seems like, because you're not accounting for the humanity. The humanism of this movie says that you cannot do that.
1: The thing is, if you take the humanity away, his idea really is not the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Nuking the major cities probably could have put a stop to this a lot quicker if they had the the giant populist zones, but you're also... T- throwing out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, right. because there's most certainly going to be people there who were fighting for their lives. But like, yeah, from a logic standpoint, you could see where he where he was at least in his head. He would be like, this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And it is kind of like, oh, you have to be cold and calculating. But at that point, are you any better than the zombies? Yeah. Peter keeps his promise to take care of Roger. Blah, blah. Take yeah. care of him. <laughs> Old Yeller style (laughs) They do bury him after he's killed a second Time plus a toast which I think is interesting They still can't give up These traditions
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think a very sweet moment is when Flyboy and Fran Are having their like couples dinner Which feels oddly weird that they make Peter be their servant basically for that sequence, but I think uh, he sprung it on them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah, (laughs) thankfully, thankfully. (laughs) Oh, I never knew how to read that. I didn't know if maybe that was a sly little thing where, like, even in this world, like, but he goes out and chills with Roger at Roger's grave. I love that. That, like, yeah, a little toast. Yeah, toast to him. Yep. He goes and hangs out with his buddy,
0: and even these wedding rings is kind of doubling down on the idea of like oh we need to have these rituals these rituals are what defines us but fran says it wouldn't be real this is like you're doing this just because you're looking for normalcy Mm -hmm. Don't like i said we don't even like each other anymore
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah like the idea of getting married look weddings now i mean i'm not saying this i'm not somebody who's like shitting on the idea of getting married like but like it really is just like you have a piece of paper that says that you're officially together. Like that doesn't right. even exist in this world. There's no point to <laughs> it. You're putting rings on each other's fingers. Like that is all there is to a wedding in the zombie world. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It it's really great. And also I gotta say, especially now that he's given up being a cop, Pete is a damn catch. The guy can cook, yeah. he can build, he's like he's handy, he's cool and collected. He's he rocks. Ken Foray is a hunk. He's handsome. Yeah. He's a handsome man too. It's great. I do also like, in these moments, Fran is starting to get made up to look more and more like the mannequins, Mm -hmm. especially the ones that they were just shooting at. And this scene in the restaurant is one of the more dynamically lit scenes, since it's tough to light a whole mall, so I think that it is one of the moments where the lighting really shines. Mm. The joy of running through the mall is also starting to fade, despite more awesome goblin music happening, and... I love the image of post-coital despair instead of bliss between the two of them, where they're just, like,
1: miserable in the bed. <laughs> yeah, they look like they just, like, got done with a four-day bender and not just, like, got done, you know, doing what's supposed to be, like, the most intimate and fun thing a couple can do. Like, they just right. look like they want to be anywhere but there. <laughs> right. They're just passing the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's, like, once they lose Roger, I think that's when the idea that they, that really breaks this idea that, like, this is some sort of great place that we could stay forever it's eventually something's going to get them. The cracks have shown. Yeah. And time
0: does pass, according to Fran's stomach. (laughs) Storm's coming, though. And I love them playing poker with these 50s and 100s to pass the time again. There hasn't been a broadcast for three days, snaps Fran at at Flyboy while he fiddles with the TV. And I love this passive-aggressive turning it back on after she turns it off. And they're, like, staring each other in the (laughs)
1: eyes. It, again, just comes down to him feeling emasculated. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: The helicopter lessons do commence, though. Unfortunately, this draws the attention of a gang of raiders, including Tom Savini as Pasquale Buba. Great
1: name. <laughs> I forgot that was his character's name, honestly. <laughs> and he, I love his little switchblade comb that he uses for his stash. <laughs> oh, that's such a great. I feel like that was like. Tom's own creation to yeah. have that be his, like, character's little thing that he uses. Especially because it feels very
0: improvised when one of the other bikers is like, what is that? And he's like, oh, you <laughs> never seen one of these before? <laughs> like, that's just Tom being Tom. The rest of the bikers, though, are a real bike gang called the Pagans, which they said they don't remember how they knew to come. They just showed up. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> The Raiders are drinking the champagne of beer, though, before coming in, so God
1: bless them. Oh, that's right. They do have highlight, don't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: things are raucous, much like the hunting party from before, except now they're hunting humans. But again, that post-humanist perspective, perhaps they always were.
1: Some people don't care for this particular bit of the movie with the biker gang, especially because it gets into like pie-in-the-face slapstick shit, mm. but- I I think it's not that people don't like it. It's obviously like basically the final act of the movie and what sets up the ending. But the people think that it goes on for too long and throws in the slapstick and all that stuff. But like, I love this bit when they because it's, you know, the the way they're in the car and they're like, oh, there's just a few of us. And then when they look, it's like a fucking army. come. I mean, they know (laughs) that there's more than a few. But even when they see, they're like, wait a minute. This is like way too many for us.
0: I also love Fran being like, well, if it's just three. (laughs) Yeah. 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 She's ready. (laughs) Yeah. This is great stuff. I do like it a lot. This is, I will say it had to grow on me that this is this, the whole biker sequence did have to kind of grow on me. And I think that the reason for that is because it kind of takes you by surprise. Yeah. Based on us now being this many years with all the baggage of the zombie movie genre we expect it to be the final confrontation between them and the zombies uh, eventually it overwhelms them and they just break through mm-hmm. but they are setting up from the beginning that it is humans at each other's throats that will bring down our demise here yep and i think that in a way it is paying off the very beginning of the movie in a way that now that I have been able to take the time and piece them together, works in a way that would be, it's much more interesting than just having it be, up. eventually the zombie menace gets to be
1: too strong. And I feel like another part of the reason, though, might be that, like, as we've said here a couple times in the show, that the idea that, like, what if man was the monster has been done so clumsily over the years in so many different ways, but... Romero was playing around with those th- those themes before everybody else. And it comes, like you said, it comes right back to the beginning where zombies aren't going to be the real. I mean, yeah, they're they're obviously, if you if you turn your back on them, they're going to like zombies are working on an instinct, whereas hu- these humans are working on malice. Yeah. Absolutely. And that makes them more dangerous. Right.
0: And Peter says, let's not make it easy for them, which yeah. I love. <laughs> yep. I do also love, it's funny in the background of them driving down the road, I look. I don't like to nitpick, so I'm truly saying this out of affection. But you can see, like a regular car, like waiting at an intersection in the background while they're all <laughs> driving down the road, and it just like starts to pull off the other way, and
1: it cuts, and you're like, okay, that's fun. <laughs> Maybe it was a zombie in a car. You don't know. They retain some memories. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Maybe that was intentional.
0: <laughs> the noise does draw thousands of zombies as the raiders enter through the loading bay. And all the alarms and stuff are going off. So Peter and Steven just let them fight it out. There's a fun scene of them driving through the mall on their bikes, which during the commentary, they said, you can't possibly appreciate how loud it was to have all of the bikes bouncing about the sound around the mall. And they said the vibrations literally set off the burglar alarm throughout the entire mall. <laughs>
1: yeah. didn't, didn't one of the cars get destroyed during this scene too One accident? Like, didn't something get fucked up during this sequence?
0: Yeah, I, I think that you're right, that, like, they, like, crashed it through one of the walls, and they were like, ah, it flipped in a weird way and exploded and almost killed
1: one of the yeah, bikers. <laughs> I thought so, I thought so. One of these bikers does the single dumbest move anyone's ever done in a zombie film, and it's, what, what I love about, okay, what's the, the blood pressure thing? I love it. Like, I, I do, it. too, I do, too. Look, it's, Romero was, like, saw one of those things, it was like, somebody's going to die in one of these <laughs> And there's like, how do you possibly get a character in the middle of a zombie outbreak to like check their blood pressure? And it's like, we don't really have to explain it. It's just some dumb shit biker who decides it would be fun to do. And it gives us that really awesome. It's just the dumbest possible way anyone's died in a zombie film.
0: He even tries to go for it the first time, and his friend stops him. And he's like, look, if I'm going to fucking die, I'm at least going to do it in this goddamn blood pressure machine. (laughs) And unfortunately, I relate to this guy maybe more than I care to admit, because my mom used to take us to a local drugstore in our town, and they had one of these blood pressure machines. And I would just sit there and, like, poke at it and play with it. And and. I was. She was like, "What are you even getting out of this?" And I was. Like, I don't know. It's just something to fucking do here. Obviously, I didn't say fucking. Me, but.
1: <laughs> they were super fun. They were super fun. I think every kid who grew up with blood pressure machines had that experience. Yeah. Re- well, and it gives you that chance to do like really, really funny. His blood pressure crashes on the machine. Yeah. Like George always thinks that the, the in Day of the Dead when. The one dude gets his head ripped off and you hear his vocal cords stretching as he's oh. getting. Yeah. The pitch changing as he's getting his head torn off. Yeah. Like he, he, a maestro, which and again, it's funny because when you hear George talk, he's like a sweet old grandpa, but he'd have these incredibly <laughs> fucked up ideas like that, that like, yeah, I love it. You know, I love what it. if a guy's vocal cord stretched while he was getting his head torn off. or <laughs> a guy's arm got ripped off in a blood pressure machine.
0: <laughs> now they get a fun shopping scene, which is great. I love. They also mug a zombie, which is funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there is literally this pie fight and seltzer spray. got to have a little slapstick. Why not? Apparently, Chris and George fought about this a lot. (laughs) She thought it was stupid as hell, but he was like, it's getting so comical that you might as well, that this is literally the end stage of this. And they compromised by cutting their second cameo, which was here out of the movie where they were going to be dressed as Santa and an elf. And he said, we decided bikers wouldn't come dressed like that. So who were these people? The real Santa.
1: (laughs) I also feel like, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the two endings when we get to the end of the movie. But I'm really glad that we didn't get the original ending because it would not have fit the tone of this film. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the ultimate tipping point to we cannot use that ending was the pie fight. Like maybe that was where it was like, this doesn't work at all after you've had that scene in here.
0: Right, yeah they they chose their path, and uh, to swing back the other way would not feel earned. Almost. No, even not though there at all. is a lot of bleakness to the movie, there is also that levity that does kind of puncture anything that they might try and do at the end like that.
1: Yes, and it just would not have. It, you you can't go from a pie fight to like the ultimate <laughs> bleak ending. You can't do it. Although Doctor Strange Love went from pie fight to nuke. That's true. That's true. <laughs>
0: Also, I love one last call out from this shopping scene here is when a guy picks up a shirt and tie combo and then throws it back down when he realizes <laughs> what it is.
1: <laughs> or the guy who's just smashing shit with a sledgehammer. Like, give me yeah. that hammer. Like, yeah. Just, oh, yeah, I just want to break everything. He, he picks up a TV. The other guy is like, what are, what are you going to watch? And he's <laughs> like, oh,
0: yeah. He fucking throws it down and takes a hammer to it. Love
1: <laughs> it. Someone throws him the hammer from his seat. Like, throw me that hammer. <laughs> Hell, yeah. Flyboy Steven is
0: pissed at this intrusion on their territory so he ignores Peter on the walkie and he starts popping shots at him which pisses him off more now we've got a war. I also love there's a cool visual communication here which you know we talked about how Romero doesn't necessarily get a lot of respect for the actual composition of his shots but here you can see like his eyes are warped because we're looking through the, like the drinking glasses mm-hmm. at him and it does this really cool sort of perspective change for like oh yeah he is deranged in this moment he is
1: lost yeah. his cool but i feel like it ultimately Flyboy is correct in doing what he was nothing they, they weren't going to stop you know what i mean piss them off or not like they were losing this mall i mean it's interesting because obviously all of their work is now set back to zero
0: anyway you know they yeah. got all the zombies in there's a huge hole in the wall yeah even if they don't take them all they also are losing them all no yep. matter
1: what yep so they they what they were fighting for was the mall and they were losing it no matter what. Right.
0: They do eventually corner Flyboy in the elevator shaft and they shoot him in the arm and Savini does get killed by Peter from above though, which is fun. And the Raiders take their winnings and they head out
1: except for this blood pressure guy, he couldn't resist. <laughs> Savini deserved a better death, I think. Like that's yeah. one of my other complaints about this movie is that they should have gone all out and had Savini get, like, the, like, torn apart sort of death. It's you funny know? that he just, like, after
0: all he did, though, they are just like, hey, you just fall off the second floor because you got shot. Yeah, <laughs> it's very lame. <laughs> now, like we said, the mall is fucked, though, and Peter is hurt bad. And it's even worse as he's ripped down by his legs in the elevator shaft. I love this. You know, time and time again, they warned him about his hubris. And even mm-hmm. if he is right that they lost it and this is an unforgivable intrusion on their territory, he got warned don't yeah. do this and his hubris costs him his life eventually yeah we'll just wait a while and see peter tells fran as we see the <laughs> zombies gorging themselves in the mall
1: yeah because she wants to go see if he's there like yeah we'll we'll, we'll just hold on and see if he comes <laughs> back
0: fran is ready to go now that it's light though but peter just keeps watching the stairwell as the mall gets overrun again and th- i love i love the, zo- the zombies get a shopping scene, too, just to <laughs> reinforce the idea that they are
1: us once yeah. more. Yep. It's their mall again.
0: Exactly. And Steven is joining them. He leads them to the wall where they hid the stairs. Steven, you fucking
1: snitch, bro. The best zombie walk ever committed to film, though. When that it elevator great. opens, he has the best... I don't think there's ever been a better, like, zombie, like, especially, like, freshly turned, like, still mm. sort of learning to use his legs.
0: Yeah, he's got, like, the the hand, like, sticking with out
1: the with the gun, just gun like, hanging, hanging on off it. it. He's awesome. It's so good. It is great. Peter tells
0: Fran to escape. I don't want to go. I really don't, he says, and he prepares to shoot himself as she goes for the helicopter, but he changes his mind. He hasn't actually given up yet.
1: Hell yeah, Peter. <laughs> he makes a run for the roof. He does some sweet kicks. Dude. It's so funny because he's got that gun to his head and it's like, all of a sudden he remembers like, no, I'm a fucking badass. What am I doing? (laughs) And like the hero music plays as he's like punching. He punches so many. We have not talked about how he was cold cocks like five zombies in the face in this movie too. Like he is just a punch machine. Yeah. Yeah, He's doing like high kicks. Like he is fucking out of there.
0: That SWAT training is truly bonkers, man. They had him (laughs) doing all kinds of martial arts, abortions, (laughs) everything you can name. (laughs) He does get in the chopper safely, though, and he says, how much fuel do we have? And she says, not much. And he just says, all right. And they fly off into the distance. Credits over carnival music as the zombies wander the mall until a clock chimes. Time's up for humanity.
1: You know, in my head, those two go on to find a nice little island free of zombies (laughs) And live long, happy lives. That's wow. how this works for them.
0: The same island that they find
1: in. <laughs> no, not the one from the remake. <laughs> that is not a happy island. <laughs> Look, realistically, they're probably fucked, but maybe not. It mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, one way or the other, which is why. I prefer that ending to that original ending, which for anybody who maybe doesn't know the original ending, I don't know if you're going to cover it or not. Yeah, well, so
0: I do like this is a little more ambiguous than the original screenplay. Peter and Francine were going to kill themselves. Peter was going to shoot himself down there and Fran was going to stick her head Into the path of the rotating helicopter blades, much like that zombie that we saw earlier. And the credits would run over the shot of the helicopter blades running down. like They they would uh, slowly fade away, implying that the fuel was not only not much, but basically nothing, and they would have been fucked no matter what. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we already kind of talked about it. It doesn't necessarily fit the tone out of context. I do like it as a very grim and dark ending that I think is fun. But I think we get that sort of thing in Day of the Dead. We get a more complete bleak tone that fits the darker endings. They kind of do something similar with like flying off and being like, well, the world is fucked, but who knows?
1: So yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that is a fucking rad ending in another movie. Yeah, just not this one.
0: Exactly. And uh, ultimately, they are defeated by humans, but the, they get to retain their humanity as well.
1: Yeah, look, I had to watch two friends die in this movie. I don't need to watch <laughs> all four die, you know? <laughs> it's- Absolutely. I do also, before we sum up why this is the best, I wanted, there were
0: a few quotes from George that I couldn't fit anywhere else into our discussion that I did want to read off. First of all, the commentary was recorded in early 2004, so they talked a little bit about the at the time upcoming remake. And George was like, "I don't think it helps or hurts, but also I don't really want to know anything about it or care to."
1: (laughs) Yeah, look, George George got very cranky about zombie related entertainment in his older days, and I fucking get it. Got fucked out of so much money. Yes. Like, he invented this, and, like, there's no reason that Romero should have struggled to make films. Like, mm-hmm. it sucks. He yeah, got a absolutely. really fucking raw deal. Absolutely. And
0: to go off that, he specifically said, there's no more small, ballsy distributors left. They've all been bought by the mouse. And that was in 2004.
1: <laughs> Dude, George knew. Comrade George. He was awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And the last one that I really it made me laugh a lot was he I think there's like one slight moment of slow-mo in this movie and he says ordinarily I don't like slow-mo maybe I'm anti-peck and pop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Sam. <laughs> he is the best. I his interview, his commentary tracks are always such a pleasure to listen to. Interviews with him are always so fun. I miss George so much. Like it's funny George is one of those ones that I remember exactly what I was doing and where I was when I found out George Romero passed away. Like, it's one of the ones that will always be in my head is, like, finding out George Romero died. I I was bummed as fuck. Like, I was super, super bummed because... You know, it's not just day. Like, I love Dawn. I love Night. I love Martin. I love Creepshow. I love Monkey Shines. I love The Dark Half. I even like Bruiser. Yeah, me too. Peter Stormare is going off the fucking walls in that movie. Yeah. He was a Knight Rider. I mean, he was a great director who. Absolutely. I feel the like. The Crazies is great too. Yeah, The Crazies is great too. Crazy's another one where I actually think the remake is pretty decent as far as those go. Haven't checked it out yet. It's not bad at all. Honestly, it's not bad at all.
0: Yeah, I think that it is a shame that he wasn't able to kind of just do whatever he wanted. And honestly, I think that that's part of why the amusement park was so exciting is because after all these years, not only did we get another Romero movie, which would have been exciting in the worst case scenario, but then it also was fucking awesome. <laughs> like yeah. It also was good. And yeah. you're like, oh,
1: what a sweet relief that I don't have to be <laughs> worried about it being terrible and, and <laughs> being like, oh, should you have released yeah, this? There's because a reason yes. that this was hidden. No, yeah, it was great.
0: Yeah, it is. And this is great too. And in fact, now we've reached the part of the episode, Eric, where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is in fact the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start.
1: Okay. So, at the end of the day, it scratches a lot of my itches. You know, you've got zombie carnage, you've got smart social commentary, you've got this like time capsule that makes you feel like you've entered another world, especially as somebody who grew up with malls. You've got all of these things that come together. But ultimately, for me, what makes this my favorite horror movie of all time is again, you're spending time, it's the cast is super small. You've got Four characters that you spend this entire epic journey with that you lose along the way. A couple of them, and it hurts when you lose them. They're not, mm-hmm. again, not just fodder. They're not just there to, you, in zombie movies, oftentimes, like, you you want to see people get eaten. There's people that you, Day of the mm-hmm. Dead is full of people that you want to see get eaten the entire fucking movie. You know, yeah. like, and I say it as somebody who loves Day of the Dead, too. But <laughs> ultimately, to me, what it comes down to is that this is the complete and total package as far as a, a film goes. Not just a horror film, but a film there's thrills there's humor there's drama there's great characterization there's great social commentary there's violence and what matters the most to me as far as this movie goes is it is a fucking fun time from start to finish it is endlessly fun i have watched this movie so many times and never ever ever do i like look at my watch look how much time's left like it's and that's the, the other thing is there are tons of downtimes in this lots of, car, lots of parts where it's just like dialogue or characters together okay. But everybody is so likable and so endearing that it just it is like a total package movie for me. Like every one of my boxes, it ticks off. So, yeah, that's why it's not just my favorite horror movie of all time, but my favorite movie of all time.
0: Absolutely. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is an immaculate balancing act. It is funny. Like you said, it, it has this light satirical tone. But it also, the message that it's trying to communicate doesn't get lost in that either. And a lot of times, especially when they're trying to hit like the jokey moments in in other movies, less capable movies, they might have to lean on violence that is stylized out of realism. Mm -hmm. And this movie doesn't have to do that. It is intense violence but it is realistic violence in a lot of the ways in terms of like the blood like the stomach being ripped open and everything it's scary because you go oh that looks real to me not (laughs) oh i'm laughing because there's blood spraying a thousand feet in every direction Mm -hmm. on top of this deft writing tone i mean the performances are really great you know i think it is kind of a I don't even know if I agree with it, but it is a pretty common critique to say that the naturalistic performances that happen in a lot of Romero's movies get criticized as not being great. And I think that there is a naturalism to them that doesn't necessarily feel like actors all the time, but I think that it is to the movie's benefit every time, basically, that it makes the world feel more lived in. You know, you have Ken Ferre, who is absolutely doing a great job. He's a, he's a great actor, but all of the other like i mean Roger and and Steven and everyone like they feel like people everyone feels like people to me they don't feel like archetypes or anything they they each have their own personality and it's something that is really easy to lose especially in a movie like this i've talked about how i like the longer runtime i think that that is rare for a movie to make me be like yes give me the the much longer cut mm-hmm. and it just all comes together perfectly the what a what an amazing confluence of of talent that that gave us this movie and uh, all three of of this this trilogy is is incredible
1: yeah and and this is the crown jewel of them sitting right in the middle You brought up a good point that I didn't think about during mine, too, with the length thing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, movies that I count among my favorites, a lot of assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is like three hours long. Uh, Zodiac, you know, there's like I'm a big fan of long movies, but I constantly talk about how great a tight 90 is. And the fact that, like, there is a shorter version of this movie. And every time I'm going for the longer one is a testament to just how good everything in this is.
0: Absolutely. It earns the length. And that's the
1: key. You know, it's, yep.
0: it's not a question of like, oh, I am unwilling to give a movie my time. I'm just unwilling to waste my time.
1: Right. Then there are plenty of movies that pad for padding's sake. And this does not have that. Even exactly. look, we're talking about a zombie movie with a pie fight and there's no padding in this. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's nothing that feels like it's there just for no reason. Absolutely. Eric, I want
0: to thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This was so much fun. Please tell the people where they can check you out on Twitter
1: the show everything so my two and by the way thank you for having me the show is tremendous and you don't understand like one of the worst parts about my show is not getting to talk a lot of horror that's why i i mean that there are tons of horror movies with soundtracks but like i pretty much save well i'm getting ahead of myself so you can find me on twitter at U-W-E-B-O-L-L-O-C-K-S, which yes, just like the director, but a lot of people pronounce it. I never say it out loud because most people think it's Uwe Bullocks, but it's actually Uve. Uve yeah, yes. Bullocks <laughs> would be how you would say that. And my podcast is Soundtracker, which you can find on Twitter also at Soundtracker with an underscore at the end. The show itself, it's looking at every film, not every film because there's so many, but as many as I can cover. Movies that had original motion picture soundtracks. So I'm not just talking like the big ones. You know, I've done like Batman Forever. I have done The Crow. But I've also done movies like Roadhouse, where it's just like fun to talk about the movie and the soundtrack. I didn't even I was vaguely aware that that Roadhouse had a soundtrack, but (laughs) it was a fun movie to talk about. So that's that's the gist of this. It's a half movie, half music discussion where me and a guest will talk about a movie for the first half, talk about the soundtrack track by track for the second half. I will break down like what the top 10s were like when the movie was released. The top 10s were like when the soundtrack was released on the movie charts and album charts. I gave recommendations at the end, do a ranking system. And uh, yeah, it's but it's very unpretentious. I I didn't go to school for music, so I'm not going to sit there and be throwing out terms like they hit the wah-wah. I have no idea what I'm talking <laughs> about. You know, I'm just like, it's like, this is a good song and this is what album it came from and. Dig into them a little bit, but the reason I said I'm getting ahead of myself is we still have to figure out what exactly it is. But George, you're on for October, so you will be oh, doing yeah. some horror movie in October. We got to find a good one with a good soundtrack here. So, oh yeah, but yeah. I don't get to talk horror enough, so I really appreciate you having me on here because any chance that I get to talk about horror, you know, it's like my first love, and I only really allow myself to do it once a month on the show. So it's it's nice to have excuses to talk about horror outside of the context of my show because. It's been, what, almost a year now since I've done a horror movie on, on on Soundtracker. So this is a great time, and I really am glad you reached out to me. And more than anything, I want to thank every one of your prior guests for not taking Dawn of the Dead 1978 <laughs> somehow. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with all of you, but I am so happy that this was available for me to come talk about.
0: I can't encourage you all to go and check out Soundtracker enough. Even if he hadn't invited me on, I would be saying the same exact thing. It's a ton of fun. I love the format. The song by song breakdown in the second half is so much fun. And you've got great guests. You know, it's it's a ton of fun going through it. And the movies are all great. I mentioned that you did lost highway, which is a lot of fun. That's with Scott Wampler, who I horror fans probably know mm-hmm. from the King cast and everything. So lots of great tie in there. Just great stuff. Definitely go check that out.
1: Thank you so much, George. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that.
0: As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at little PHL. That username applies pretty much everywhere, including Instagram and letterboxd and also Patreon. If you're really enjoying the show, you can check out the Patreon where for, for just a couple bucks a month, you can get bonus episodes on all kinds of stuff. Things that don't necessarily fit on the main feed, but we think will be fun to talk about. We talked about PT, the playable teaser for Silent Hills with Clay Tatum recently. We also, I mean, we do talk about just regular movies as well. We had Mike Mitchell from The Doughboys back to talk about The Blob, nineteen eighty eight, recently, a special effects extravaganza as well. God, what a
1: great choice! <laughs> yeah, it's I super, fucking super love fun. that movie
0: so much. It is nasty <laughs> nasty one and uh, we had a really great conversation so if you're really enjoying the show go check that out there's episodes commentaries all kinds of great stuff rate and review if you're enjoying the show because it does help and
1: that is it I want to add one thing do everything that he just said as somebody who hosts the podcast it is one of those things that like promoting myself is one of the things that I absolutely cannot stand doing but like you're in the same boat I'm in like we're we do this on our own here and yeah If you're somebody who's listened to this show since the start or recently got into this show, that support means the world to myself, George, whoever it is. So if you're somebody who's been a big fan of this show since the start, like don't just take that and be like well I, I see that wikipedia thing where it's like where they're like don't just depend don't just look at it and think someone else will do it they used to annoy <laughs> me but now I'm seeing what that's all about like if you love this show you got to show the people who put it out for you every week so give george every support bit of support that you can ratings or or the patreon and i like that you get wild with it on the patreon i like that you know <laughs> like PT and stuff that's the great thing about patreon it's the wild wild west you can do things hell you yeah. don't normally do hell yeah i
0: watched like five seasons of the x-files and did like write-ups on like my thoughts of every episode episode and then i just was like i think i'm done watching the (laughs) (laughs) x-files well you know (laughs) but you still get five seasons worth of x-files write-ups yeah goddamn, that's the whole thing that's that's plenty (laughs) and that was on top of the bonus episodes so it was already out of the goodness of my heart
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you know i'm just backing up what george says if you're if you're a listener of this show Support in any way you can, okay?
0: I appreciate that a lot. And uh, yeah, you know, it's a lot of work to do a show.
1: It is. It is. You know. Yeah, it (laughs) is. It's a lot. It's a lot of time, a lot of effort.
0: So do all that stuff. Thanks, everyone. Bye.